Hey, brother. Today, we're going to dive into Ephesians 5.25, and we're going to look at why haven't you been able to pull it off? And so a lot of guys, they think because they read the verse, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church, and they kind of shrug their shoulders and they kind of say, well, I think I know what that means. And then they go try to do it, that they're just naturally going to succeed somehow because maybe they accepted Jesus and that's all it takes. But what I'm here to tell you, brother, is that there's so much more to that. Let me help you understand. So assuming you're not a brain surgeon, if I went to you and I said, husband, operate on your wife as a brain surgeon would operate on his, like how much success do you think you would have trying to give brain surgery to your wife if you're not a brain surgeon? And so when, when we read the verse, love your wife, as Christ, and in English, we can substitute the word like for as, love your wife like Christ. Well, let me ask you something, brother. If you are not like Christ, what makes you think that you can love her like Christ? And to the extent you become more like Christ, you are better able to love her like Christ. So as we begin this journey, the thing that we need to agree on right away is that in order to pull off Ephesians 5.25, we must practice and endeavor to become more like Jesus every day. And it turns out that's God's plan for your life. Like if you read the Bible carefully, there's this idea that we get saved and we're justified sinners. Now, that doesn't mean that we're justified in our sin. It just means that we can still go to heaven, even though we continue to remain sinners. So here we are, and we're in this marriage, and I'm a sinner, and she's a sinner, and you're a sinner, and your wife is a sinner. And now we're told to love her as Christ loved the church. Well, now do you see where this is maybe not, not as easy as it sounds? Because Christ is not a sinner. So how are you going to love her like Christ? Well, the Bible has a plan for that. It's called sanctification. It is becoming more formed in the image of Christ. It is a closer walk with Jesus. In Luke chapter 6, we read about Jesus encouraging the disciples to become like the teacher when he's referring to himself. So can we agree that if you become more like Jesus, you will be better able to love her like Jesus? And inside of that space, you can't take Ephesians 5.25 out of context. What you must do is you must read it in the overall context of the Bible. So as we begin this process of sanctification and, and, and you start to really study it, what you're going to find is that you can't just order it off a menu. You can't just pray that the Holy Spirit sanctifies you and it happens overnight. God did this on purpose, brother. He did it so you would have to work for it. You, you know what? You can get on your face and you can say, I submit everything and forgive me for everything. And you're not going to get sanctified any more than Adam got in, in, in good graces with God when he was standing in the bush, hiding his sin, wagging his finger at God and saying the reason that Adam sinned was because of the woman who God gave him. God expects you to come out from those bushes, my brother. He expects you to drag those sins out into the light and to expose them one by one. And then as you do, you know what to pray to be sanctified of, what sins need to be cleansed, how to get you closer to Jesus and closer to being more like Jesus. Now, inside of that space, as you're moving forward in your sanctification, it becomes very helpful to have a goal and have a target and say, what am I even aiming at? 
And so level one of the 112 layers that we have uncovered with the help of the Holy Spirit prayer fellowship and studying the word is the idea of let's just take a look and say, what did Jesus do for us? And at the top level, the 100,000-foot view, what Jesus did for us is he said, I, being least deserving to suffer for sin, am willing to take on all of the suffering for all of this sin so that you may all come to heaven. That's how much I love you. And so there's a shorter way to say that. He suffered in our place so we would not have to. Now, I want you to think back. How many opportunities have there been for you to suffer in your wife's place so she does not have to? If you take this to the infinite extreme, it would mean that she never gets up off the couch, that you wait on her hand and foot, that you do all the chores in the house. You don't ask her to do anything. And if she sits there on the couch and causes problems and that you rise to as the man and you solve those problems and you don't even involve her in even knowing that a problem occurred or ask her for her help. Now, can you do that? Because what I'm going to tell you is, and as illogical as that sounds, that's nothing compared to what Jesus did for you. What Jesus did for you is he said, you get to come into this earth and you get to sin either every day or nearly every day for your entire life. And you don't have to pay for those wages of sin because I've paid for them for you. All you have to do is acknowledge that and accept that. And the debt is paid. And so these guys, they're on the internet and they're like, Bob, you're a cuck, you're a simp, you're an insult. Man, these are the weakest guys I have ever seen. These are guys who think that Ephesians 5.25 either doesn't exist or it exists in some way where it's equal, where she has to share in the suffering. Now, look, man, I'm not suggesting that you do what I said. I'm not suggesting that you run after her with a tissue box in case anytime she sneezes, you're there to hand her a tissue. What I am saying is in the course of events, if you want to understand what it means to be the man, being the man means if there is an opportunity to suffer, that you jump in it. Look, man, this is chivalry. Look back in the olden days when the streets were muddy. Men would take their coat off and lay it in the mud so that a woman wouldn't have to suffer by getting her shoes dirty. I don't understand why today's generation can't seem to figure this stuff out. And so what are some opportunities where you see your wife suffering and you could take some of the suffering off of her so that she doesn't have to suffer? Could you help her more around the house? Could you argue with her a little bit less? Could you just let some things roll off of your back? Could you maybe get ahead of some things and do them because you know maybe the lawn, maybe the garden, maybe the garage, these things are weighing on her mind and it's causing her to suffer because she can't be free and, and, and just relax for the weekend. Maybe you could do some of those things. Maybe if there's a lot of heavy lifting to be done or a lot of trips to be made, you don't ask her to share in that. You just do it as the man. See, when you do this, you're, you're suffering in her place so she doesn't have to. And now you might ask this question. The question becomes, well, what if she created the suffering? What if well, maybe we have separate accounts and maybe she has a budget and maybe she overspent her budget and now her checks are bouncing? Should I write a check and put it in her account? Well, first thing I'm going to tell you is you should have your money together. But if you're one of those couples that keeps it separate, yes, you should put money in her account. 
You're supposed to be the provider. You're supposed to be the protector. So even if she's the one who created her suffering, you step in and you suffer in her place so that she does not have to. That's rule number one. Rule number two. You know, it's very interesting when Jesus washed the disciples' feet and I was reading the scripture, my brain got ahead of the scripture and I got it all wrong. Because what Jesus said is now that and because I have washed your feet, I was completely expecting him to say, you wash mine. That's not what he said. What he said is wash each other's. So Jesus serves without expectation of being served. Now, how many opportunities do you have to serve your wife without expectation of being served? And we know those expectations, man. I mean, I'm a man too. We understand we have expectations. Can you put them aside and serve your wife without expectation? This is, this is it, man. Can you do it or can't you? Because I'm going to tell you, it's very, very difficult. And it's difficult to do it over and over and over and over while your needs are not getting met and you're wondering if they're ever going to get met. Jesus didn't say, if I wash your feet 25 times, then I have a right to come ask you. So the question you got to ask yourself is, are you able to live up to this standard? And again, I'm not saying that you have to 100%, but what I'm saying is this, that is the standard that we are called to. We are called to this standard to suffer in her place so she doesn't have to period. There is no reciprocal scripture that says that she is to love us as Christ loved the church. And then the third one is probably the hardest one of all. What Jesus does for us is he forgives us a thousand times a day if we don't do it back for him. As a matter of fact, he forgives us with a, with a different kind of forgiveness. He forgives us with grace. He forgives us with the grace that it's just okay because he loves us so much because we are in him that as we sin and sin and sin, there's not even any need for forgiveness because we have asked for his forgiveness and it has been given. And inside of that space, are you able to do that for your wife? When she's nagging, when she's complaining, when she's upset, when she's rubbing your failures in your face, are you able to do that? And I'm going to tell you, brother, there's three things here. Suffer in her place every time you can. And I'll go you one further. Suffer with her if you can't take it away. Even if she caused the problem, if she went and crashed your brand new car into a tree, rather than yelling at her and telling her that she shouldn't have driven in it, then you console her and you empathize with her and you cut her some slack. Number two, serve her without expectation of being served. And number three, forgive her to the level of grace, this unconditional forgiveness that anything she does is okay with you because she is part of you. You are now married and you are a husband and you are called to do this. And now we look at this and is that impossible? Of course it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. There's only one way that we can even approach getting it close to even something that resembles what Jesus does for us. And that's to beg the Holy Spirit for sanctification, to tear down the walls of our ego, to tear down the walls of our pride, to invite the Holy Spirit in, in the full daylight where all of our sin and stench is there for the Holy Spirit to see, because that's what he wants to see. He wants to see us lay each one of these sins and the emotional payoff that comes with it down at his feet. And when we do this, we become powerful, we become bold, we become certain, and we become capable 
of moving in this direction and actually offering our wife that kind of love. And when we offer her that kind of love, it is so incredibly powerful that it rights the wrongs that have occurred before. It reattracts her, it reattaches her, it rebonds her, and it brings her back to the table, back to the conversation, and back to the bedroom because God wired her to want that kind of love. Love. Now, brothers, we just talked about level one. There's 111 more levels about what it means to be in Ephesians 5.25 husband. And now what I want you to think about is that God calls us to the same standard for our wife that Jesus died for us. In other words, if it were necessary to go through what Jesus went through, the beatings, the whippings, the cat of nine tails, this being spat on, the being mocked, carrying the cross, being nailed to it, and then suffering a terrible death and ultimately being pierced on that cross. Like if it was necessary for you to do that for your wife, God expects you to do that in Ephesians 5.25. And all those guys who talk about simps and cucks and incels, man, they can't even bring her a tissue if she sneezes for fear that it makes them look weak and emasculated. Those guys are the guys who are weak. Those guys are the guys who are emasculated. Now, what's the hack? You want a hack? There are no hacks. You got to do the work, but I will tell you something that is going to help you moving forward. And what that is, is don't do it for her. She doesn't deserve it. She's a sinner. She's not doing it back for you. And that gets your ego involved. You want to cut your ego out of it? Do it for him. Do it for him, brother. He did it for you. You owe him that. You do it for him because he did it for you. And you forget about whether she deserves it or not. And that's starting the conversation in layer number two. But that's all I got for you now. This has been another chapter from the book of Bob. And if you want to understand layers two through 112, go to www.realmanrevolution.com, www.realmanrevolution.com. Fill out the application. If it's accepted, we don't work with everyone, only men we believe we can help. If your application is accepted, you'll be offered a call. And inside of that space, we'll get on the telephone and we'll help you understand if this is a fit for you. www.realmanrevolution.com. And I'll see you on the other side.